0: Well, good morning again. Welcome to our worship service, week two of "In the Midst of the Mess" as we study the book of Ruth. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you, our downtown church campus uh, and church family here of 922 Ministries at the Core. And again, welcome to everyone who is online. How many of you were here last week, week one, at one campus or another? You caught week one. All right. If you didn't, you can catch it out, catch it on our YouTube pages. We'd love to have you be able to hear the whole story from beginning uh, to end uh, and come back next week for week number three because we're going to continue to see how God's at work in the midst. Of the mess. So if you weren't here last week, we, we left Ruth and Naomi coming back to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. And, and Ruth along the way made some bold statements, made uh, these said these strong words of conviction that, that wherever her mother-in-law Naomi went, she would go. She would stay. The god of Naomi would be the god of Ruth. And to the day that she died, she would remain by her side. And with that in your mind, I have a question for you in the midst of the mess. Like Naomi's life, as Pastor Michael reminded us, was a mess. Lost her husband, lost her two sons, nothing left. She left everything so bad she said, I want to do a name change. From Naomi the pleasant one to Mara the bitter one. And in the midst of that mess, I want you to be able to answer this question from personal experience or as you look at the world. Can one person in the midst of a mess make a difference? Can one person in the midst of a mess make make a difference? Have you experienced it? Have you seen it? Are there stories in our world of, of when one person stands out, steps up, does something in the midst of the mess that matters and, and impacts a whole lot of lives. The next few weeks, we're going to see as the journey goes on, I want you to keep that in mind, Ruth, the one individual who came back, Ruth, who the author has described over and over again in chapter 1, and you're going to hear it in chapter 2, was a Moabitess. like She was from Moab. She was that Moab woman, over and over and over and over, chapter 2, I think it has it five times, chapter 1 had it several times. Like, the author wants you and me to consider Ruth as this person who's an outsider, a foreigner, and identified in this way, because in her world, in that city of Bethlehem, most people looked at her and said, you can't do much. Like, A, in in that culture, day and age, you are a woman who is now widowed, who is a foreigner. Like, what could she bring to the table? (laughs) What difference could she make? Our world is filled with stories of of one person who who makes a difference in the midst of a mess. I wanna tell you about a person named Stanislav Petrov. Anyone heard him before? Stanislav Petrov. Going, going, gone. Okay, none of you have. Pastor Michael probably has. He knows Russian history. You're like the Russian expert. 1983, we are in the midst of a mess. Any Americans who lived in the early 1980s, you remember that time was the time of the Cold War? Like, Russia and America were at odds. Russia and America had nuclear weapons pointed at each other. Russia and America, the Cold War was a really scary time to to live in, right? Well, Stanislav Petrov basically, in the midst of the mess, saved history. (laughs) Like, made it possible that you and I are here. Because when the warning bells went off because he was responsible for being the one who would say when the nuclear arms were up in the air, when the the missiles were headed Russia's way, it was his job to alert his authorities of the oncoming strike so that they could attack. And the alarms went off in front of him. The, the, The code was high alert. He should have in an instant called the authorities and set off bombs sent back towards America, but he didn't. Because he thought something was off and wrong. And the course of human history was changed by one person who made a choice in the moment. And today we're gonna see that story continue with Ruth. Can one person, a Moabitess, an outsider, a widow, make a difference? We're gonna learn about a new character in just a minute. Can one person make a difference? But before we get there, I want you to remember where we left off last week in the midst of the mess. Like as bad as it was for Naomi, what left her bitter, I want you to see this at work, to see God at work behind this story as we go forward, because you didn't see much God in chapter one, but in chapters two and three and four, we're going to see how God is at work behind the scenes, how God is, is, is acting and, and working through people and, and for people. Remember God's promise. God wants you to hold on to this in the midst of the mess. So right now, if you are here and you're in the midst of a mess, I know that we have members at 922 who are in the midst of loss and pain and suffering, whether it's relational, whether it's literally the loss of a loved one, whether it's job-related, whatever it might be. In the midst of the mess, here's God's promise. We left last week with it. Romans 8:28. If you don't know this passage by heart as a Christian, when the the mess comes, you you probably are missing out on something big when God says, we know that in all things, God works for the, say it with me, God works for the good. Say it louder. God works for the good. And he works for the good of those who what? Love him. Love him. him. And Naomi didn't think much like God was showering her with love in the mess. And Ruth, as we're going to see, was making a difference in the midst of it. She was one of those good things happening in in the life of Naomi and we're going to see how that plays out. So let's jump into Ruth chapter two. What we're going to do uh, for today, much like we did last week, read some sections, stop and, and, and highlight a few things, keep moving on with the story. At the end, I'm going to give you three Ruth truths uh, to take away things I believe you can apply to your life if you're in the midst of the mess. Things to apply to your life right now uh, that can benefit and maybe be a blessing to others who are in the midst of the mess. How would God have you look How would God have you live? And then an ultimate truth at the end that's going to help us move forward into week number three, because it's a whole story uh, as we see Ruth and Naomi and their journey now in Bethlehem. And here's the thing, it's still a mess. So Naomi made it back home, which all of us love being home. She's no longer a foreigner, but she's she's a widow, She has no husband and no land that that she's working right now to provide. She can't get a job. It wasn't available to her. So she's at the mercy of others. Like, so as much as the mess was and all the loss was, now you know what the mess is? The same mess that her and Elimelech left Bethlehem for. There was no food. There was a famine, chapter 1. She now comes back. She has nothing. She has no husband or sons who are working the land. So she has no access to food, security, uh, the. The basic things in life that are needed. All right. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to him. The author of the book of Ruth is giving you information in advance. That isn't necessarily a part of the story, but that's going to play out in the story. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, and I put that in quotes because the author is definitely drawing you in. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So I already told you three big things in that section. One, we get introduced to the next main character. We're going to come back to him a few times. The author's connecting the dots. The family tree, that's going to be important. Hold on to that. Elimelech has a relative named Boaz, which means Naomi has a relative named Boaz. Uh, The situation is still a mess. They don't have food. Uh, Naomi's probably still paralyzed. She's still bitter. She she doesn't know what to do. Maybe she can't go out and, and do what Ruth offers to do. And then we see Ruth gleaning. I don't know if any of you know what gleaning looks like. I didn't grow up on a farm. If you were someone who grew up on a farm back in the day when uh, you didn't have all the fancy equipment, uh, sometimes people would walk behind what was picked up, the main things that were picked up to pick up the scraps, the leftovers, the extras. Uh, it, gleaning was an Old Testament law of, of Moses that was allowed for for foreigners and widows. So Ruth qualified on two accounts. And so she could go behind the harvesters who were gathering up uh, the harvest and the things that were left in the field, the scraps that were left behind, the, the bits and pieces, they were, the workers were told not to go back over and over and over again and get every last drop for, for their employer. They were to leave some behind for the people who were in need. It was God's way of providing for, for the broken, the hurting people in a mess. That's what's taking place in this section. And as it turned out, this person we get introduced to, named Boaz, who's of the family tree, Ruth stumbles into his field. (laughs) Hold on to that thought, because it should be in your brain right now. In the midst of the mess, can one person make a difference? Naomi doesn't tell her to go find Boaz. Naomi has other relatives in Bethlehem. But Ruth just happens across the fields of this guy, Boaz. Now, those of you who know the core, there's a guy named Boaz out here somewhere. So uh, think of Boaz, you know, Nice guy, owns a field. He's going to let this lady walk through it and glean. Story continues in the fields of Boaz. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. Like, let's just stop for a second. Like, this is the environment that she's in. Can one person make a difference? Like, the guy in charge doesn't even refer to her by name. She has no identity other than she's that outsider from that land. Like, think about that for a second. Like, how would you like being referred to like that? It probably gives you some insight into what she was dealing with or thinking about. Here's how it goes on. She said, please let me glean and, and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So the, the guy who was in charge, the one running the harvest, basically went uh, up to her, or she came up to him. She asked permission to glean, which she didn't have to ask permission for. The law said she had the right to it, so Naomi didn't tell her this. Ruth didn't probably know the laws and every detail of them. Uh, remember, she's from Moab, she's a Moabitess, but she also not only did something she didn't have to do, she asked for something that she wasn't allowed to do. Like she actually asked to take some out of the, the stuff that they had gathered. Like, can I pull some out of the sheaves that that you are gathering? Like Gleaning was to go pick up the scraps. She was actually asking for far better than that. Probably mistakenly, right? She didn't know. Which plays into that last part. You know, that first part of the sentence makes a whole lot of sense. But she came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Now, there are two interpretations of it. One is the way the NIV took it, and it's plausible and valid, and both of these are good. It's She came into the field. She got there. She started gleaning. She didn't stop working. She kept gleaning, and she kept working. She's a hard worker. She's been here all day. She's been working, and it makes sense. Until you kind of read the brokenness of it, and and until you're going to hear what comes next, like, perhaps the brokenness of the Hebrew and, and, and the way it's, it's written actually says something more like this. She asked permission to take from the sheaves and got embarrassed and perhaps became the butt of a few jokes and snickering. And here's how it might be translated. She started going to the shelter, her home, but then she sat down in the field and has stayed there all day. Like, maybe, just maybe, she got there. She made this ask She asked to do something she wasn't allowed to do, and the the guy in charge looked at her and said, Lady, who do you think you are? Like, do you think that you have a right to any of this? Like, you're the Moabitess who's from Moab. Like, he identified her that way. And so when he's telling Boaz, because Boaz has seen her off in the field, like, the impression might be that she's just paralyzed in the field. She kind of started her way home, but she knew she couldn't go home empty-handed. It was already a mess. That would make it more of a mess. We need food. And so she starts going home, but she realizes she needs food, and she's paralyzed, and she's sitting just out in the middle of the field all day. Like, I like that interpretation. It it makes sense with what the the guy in charge is saying, and it makes sense to what you're going to see next from Boaz. So let's look at verses 8 and what follows. So Boaz said to Ruth, so he identifies her. Uh, he, he notices her, and I think there are some things about Boaz maybe that we should say before we get to this part. Boaz is, Boaz is a man of means. He's wealthy, owns land. Boaz is a good dude, a godly dude, right? Did you notice the way he greeted his workers? Like some of you work for guys who are over you, who the first word out of their mouth is a, a famous, or is a popular four-letter word or some bad word that you don't want to hear, Right? A lot of you would say, it would be great to work at a godly place. Like, that was Boaz's field. God be with you. (laughs) Like, could you imagine that? Like, you get to work and go, like, God bless you too. That's Boaz. And he's observant. Like, there's a lady out in the fields. Who is it? What's going on? So Boaz said to Ruth, calls her over. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, just go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Like, help yourself to anything and everything that's mine. Stay in my field. Stay by the ladies that are, are, are walking behind the men that are working for me. You will be taken care of. I've told those dudes to not lay a hand on you. Like, because maybe, just maybe, some of them had bad intentions. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Why would you care? She probably had gotten every possible stare and a lot of snickers and a whole lot of looks of disappointment up to this point of her time in Bethlehem. Like, why would you care about me? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Like, I want to focus on the why before we get into the what. Like, the why Boaz did what he did. Like, Boaz's why was very clearly, I've seen you. I've heard about you. Your reputation precedes you, young lady. Like the way you have behaved and the things you have done, the choices you have made, part of me senses Boaz and his words are are exclaiming, there are people of God's people, people who are here in town who wouldn't do the same things that you have done. Like I've noticed. That's the why behind all of the what. Like the what of drink from my water jars, the what of glean in my fields all the what of him caring for her, wanting to provide for her, asking for God to bless her. Can one person make a difference? Like Ruth was out there in the fields putting herself at risk to other men. Ruth was was willing to go out and glean and do what she didn't understand and and not completely follow through on the law because she knew her mother-in-law needed food. And, And here is Boaz, a rich man, a wealthy man, a man of means. And Ruth identifies, you have so blessed your servant who is lower than your servants. But that's not the end of it. Boaz goes on. He invites her to his lunch table as the day is uh, getting hotter. He, he wants her to enjoy some food. No one who's gleaning, no foreigner or widow, is coming to the dinner table with the dudes. But Ruth gets an invitation to sit with Boaz. Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. Not only is she out there working and hopefully going to make some, uh, have some grain that she can take home, but now she's getting to eat. And she's not just getting to eat, she's actually getting to eat bread and dip it in the the vinegar, the oil. This is the good stuff. The boss is here. The dinner is going to be good. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, even better, something that's cooked. She ate all she wanted and had some leftovers. How many of you like to to ask for the to-go box? Like, some of you don't take leftovers. Shame on you. Your mother-in-law might be at home and might need the food later. We're going to see that. Or you could just give it to me because I have leftovers at home that I'm looking forward to today. Anyway, sorry for the side point. They're leftovers. She got a to-go box. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men, let her gather from among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. (laughs) Like, let her actually take out of the good stuff. Right? Not just pick up after you even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Like, if she wants to, let her come and take it out of the the sheaves. In fact, take some of my good stuff out of the sheaves, throw it behind, let her pick it up, don't let her see. She can gather more and more and more this way. She can be blessed. He's being generous uh, to her and allowing her to have everything she wants. So at the end of the day, Ruth gleaned in the evening, the field until evening, and she threshed the barley she had gathered. Ruth was a hard worker, and it amounted to about an ephah. Now, I don't know how much an ephah literally weighed. You can look it up, but it would have produced about 20 loaves of bread. Like, she made enough and was able to thresh it at the end of the day to have enough to take home to her mother-in-law 20 loaves of bread. Like, security, peace of mind one person making the difference in the lives of two people and blessing them for maybe several days. Even if she didn't go out the next few days, they could be provided for, they could eat, they could get strength, they could be nourished. And in the midst of the mess, that's so vital and so, so important. And so here's the thing. Like, I want you to see it in Boaz. Like, maybe just maybe ladies who are here and come back for the rest of the story because it's kind of a love story Uh, I want you to see how interaction and relationships go. But ladies, this is the kind of dude you should be looking for. Like, I'm not talking, well, Boaz Allman might turn into this kind of dude. If you're younger, you might meet him someday down the road, and his parents might let him date. But, like, this Boaz, be like him. Like, I don't know if it was because he looked at Ruth and saw someone who he was maybe a little attracted to. He might have. But I think the text tells us, from that point forward, he couldn't stop thinking about her. And I'm just guessing his attraction to her, the, the, the thing that caught his attention, was her character, her godliness. Like she recognized the love of Jesus, the roots that she had, the, her willingness to sacrifice her whole life, what was known to go along with a woman who was bitter and didn't see that anything better could come. Like, Boaz has godly character. Like, and that's rare. In a season, remember the book of Judges says, everyone did as they saw fit. Like, it's why Boaz put the clamps down on his dudes, because in that day and age, where there was no law and order, an Israelite doing something inappropriate to a a foreigner and a widow would have probably gotten no one's attention. But Boaz was not that kind of guy, so he stepped up and stepped in and spoke up to defend her. He had her best interest in mind. And we're going to see how the story goes in the next few weeks. But but Boaz's character is a character to emulate. Because there are going to be people who are in a mess that are going to be in your life and connected to, and people of character will bless. God wants us to be those kind of people. And in the midst of a mess, when you're going through it, when people see you, Ruth shined like a star. Like her reputation oozed god. Like she was light in a dark world. Boaz knew it. It went before her and in front of her and all around her like character and reputation are huge. We're going to come back to that. But before we do, let's wrap up the story. We we leave the fields because at this time we're going to see what happens next. So Ruth carried it back to town, her twi- her all her all that she had harvested, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out uh, and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Like, hey moms, this is what you guys do to your kids. Like they come home, they come home with something amazing. You like ask for the 411, you ask them for all the information and you start bombarding them with questions. Like give me all the details. Like Naomi didn't know what was happening. All of a sudden Ruth comes home with the to-go box. She comes home with enough for 20 loaves of bread And you know what's happening in Naomi and her heart? You know what's going on in the scene? In the midst of the mess? In the midst of the pain? In the midst of the bitterness? There's a little bit of hope that is being developed. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. God is at work in Naomi and God is at work through Ruth. Can one person make a difference? God wants you to hear these words and see these words. Naomi is seeing it and experiencing it firsthand. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz. Like, we got introduced to Boaz. She randomly stumbles across a field. Uh, a man introduces himself. His name is Boaz. She now tells Naomi, I just happened to cross this field, and this kind man gave me stuff, and his name was Boaz. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. His character speaks volumes. She added that this man is a close relative. He is one of, one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, even, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. In other words, Naomi knew other dudes weren't so good. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Kinda wonder how fast Ruth got home. (laughs) Like all this food. Here's the to-go box. I can't wait to tell her, like, it's gonna be okay, at least for a few days. And then Naomi says, it's not just okay, like this is great news, you stumbled into one of the fields of one of our own relatives, and even more, he's such a kind and generous man, and he's going to continue to let you work in there, keep working there until the last day of the harvest, like don't go anywhere else, like this is so good, Naomi realized. And there's one verse in there that's really important to the rest of the story as we go on, that Naomi reveals, can one person make a difference? Well, in Israel, in those day and age, in that day and age, for someone like Naomi, one person could. Here's what Naomi had said: "That man is our close relative." She added, "He is one of our guardian redeemers." Like in Hebrew, the word for guardian redeemer is goel. Uh, maybe if you're older like me, you heard the term kinsman redeemer. Uh, it kind of like gives a little more flavor to the understanding of what this is, uh, what's going on. In the Old Testament law of Moses, uh, a, a goel, a kinsman redeemer, a guardian redeemer, uh, was someone who could step up and step in and make a difference in the life uh, of someone that they knew, a family member, someone they were connected to. There are four specific instances in the Old Testament law of Moses in regards to a goel. Uh, if it interests you if, uh, for any reason, they were these: avenging a wrongful death of a family member. A goel was, was someone who had the right, according to the law to avenge a wrongful death of a fellow family member. That's your kinsman redeemer. Second one, to come to the aid of a family member in financial hardship. No doubt Naomi knew this, she, she understood the law, she understood the position she was in, we're gonna talk about that in just a second. Third, to buy freedom if, you, uh, if someone was to have to be forced to go into slavery uh, so that they could be made free. A family member could be your go ale, pay the price to get you out from being a slave. Uh, and that family member could redeem you, so to speak. Last one, the guardian of the family land assigned after the conquering of the land. Someone who would oversee the land for the family, make sure it stayed in the family, protected it for the future of the family. This is the goel. The second one that I talked about was what Naomi knew to be true. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Like, Naomi knew that in coming back to Bethlehem, someone, because this is what God's people did, would eventually become their go, her go-ale and, and, and basically pay for her land, take care of her land, farm her land, uh, use the land to provide for her food, give her a place to stay, and when she died, he would get the land. It would stay in the family tree. Like, Naomi knew in coming back, she could have a go-ale. There was one catch like, Ruth being with her was a problem. Like, no go ale was obligated to Ruth because Ruth had other options. Ruth could have stayed home. Her family could have taken care of her. It wasn't the go ales responsibility. There's now two mouths to feed. Every parent knows that one mouth is enough. Two is even more, right? Now you have two adults that you got to take care of. A go ale would have found that hard. And let alone, Ruth is not going to be the desire of many people's affections. Like, there are some rules that we're going to see come out. Like, Naomi knew in her mind that there was an option that maybe the best of all scenarios would happen. Like, maybe Ruth will meet somebody, someone who's the Goel, and he might even marry her. And if someone like that did that, but I'm not going to go there because that's the rest of the story. You need to come back next week for that. But you kind of get the flavor of the story. Here's what a guardian, kinsman, redeemer was. Related by blood. Have this in your mind. Able to pay the price. They had means and ability to to pay the price tag, and willing to redeem. Now hold on to that, if what's going through your brain right now is, hmm, sounds like some dude I know of, who is willing to redeem, related by blood, able to pay the price. All right, chapter two, you got to come back next week, because 20 loaves of bread is not enough to, to cover the mess. What's God going to do next? Come back next week, but let's have three takeaways on Ruth chapter two before we get there. All right, here's where we get, uh, get, I, get, I start to get excited with these three takeaways. Takeaway number one, if you're taking notes, right at the end of your notes, here's a bunch of fill in the blanks. When it comes to Ruth chapter two, when it comes to this story, when it comes to what's taking place and going on right here, this is not mere coincidence. Mere coincidence, absolutely, positively not. It's not mere coincidence. Like Elimelech took his family to Moab to save their life, God was at work in doing that. Sadly, Elimelech lost his life. His two sons have died. But by going to Moab, you know who they got introduced to? By going to Moab, you know who got to learn about Jesus and God? A lady named Ruth. Like those three people made a difference. Those four people made a difference in the life of that one person by bringing her the knowledge of God. It's God's providence. That's what's taking place on the pages of of Ruth chapter 2. Absolutely, positively, yes, God's providence. Remember the book of Esther? We studied it last year, great series, God's Odds. Who knows for such a time as this that maybe God put me here for just this reason, to save his people. Providence. Like sovereignty is God's rule, his power. God's providence is his rule and control for his people. You see, the Bible says this when it comes to things like this. In their hearts, humans plans their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Like, Ruth chose the field, but God is at work behind the scenes. Like, I don't think God spoke to her directly. It's like, nope, left turn there, right turn there, outside of Bethlehem, on the east hand side, that's the field you want to go to. No. But God used the steps she took. God's at work behind the scenes. His providence, his purpose, it prevails. And it's prevailing right now. <laughs> You see one person here, one person there making a difference and and I know some of you are doing the Bible reading plan and you've already read chapter 4. You know how amazing the story ends. I should have told you guys to stop reading before the end of this. We'll help you understand it but God is going to continue to work behind the scenes. Somewhere, somehow, at some time, God is going to bring about good. That's providence. You might not see it in your lifetime. It might see three generations down the road, providence. Takeaway number two, your reputation and your character speak volumes. Like Ruth's reputation preceded her. It speaks volumes. In the midst of the mess, her faith in Jesus' roots were a message to everyone in Bethlehem about who she was and who she loved, God himself, and that's why she was doing what she was doing. It was why she was there. Her reputation, even in the midst of the mess, preceded her. And so did Boaz' character. Like, he was a man of God. He greeted his his workers in the name of God. He saw a Moabitess woman from Moab out in his fields, and he didn't say, woman, how dare you take from my sheaves? He said, lady, come and eat at my table. Dudes, keep your hands off the lady. Like, leave some extra behind for her. Like, in the midst of the mess, I'm just telling you, the way in which you live is a bold message to the world. Like Ruth was in the midst of the mess and she just simply trusted God. Like, hey, I'm gonna go walk in the field, see what happens. I'm gonna stay with you. Wherever you go, I go. She had a deeper faith and and more trust in God than I think Naomi, the the Israelite, did. (laughs) Like, This is what God says about, about reputation. A good reputation is better than fine perfume. Like better than the leftovers in my fridge for sure. Like, it smells that good. God would have you consider that. What we can learn from Ruth and Boaz, be people of godly character because your character will speak volumes for you about your reputation so that others may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Like, in the midst of the mess, some of the greatest witnessing happens that the world has ever seen. Like, be the people of God in the midst of the mess. Trust in God's providence. Last one, point number three. Huge point. Big point. We're going to learn more about it over the next few weeks. When you're in the mess... Remember these three words. I should ask the Novotny girls if they know these three words that you need to remember in the midst of the mess. God is here. Like Pastor Mike wrote a book with that title. God is here. Like in the midst of the mess, God. <laughs> the all power, almighty, saving God. Naomi acknowledged that the Lord bless you. The Lord bless him. She knew who was at work. Right now, in the moment, in the midst of the mess, she knew God is. Is. Like when you're in the mess, you're not alone. When you're in the mess, others can make a difference. But when you're in the mess, God is here. God is here. Like we see it in the pages of Ruth. He's right there. He's on the scene. He's, he's working things out. He's, he's not puppet mastering them, but he is He is blessing them in the process. He's blessing the roots that they had. God is here. And I want you to think about God being here in your mess with just a little bit of a twist. Because it's going to play out over the next few days. But here's the passage that I want you to think of, and it's the words of Jesus himself In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the mess. Like in the midst of the mess, Remember those definitions of what a goel is? A guardian redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, related by blood, willing to pay the price, able to pay the price, willing to redeem. Like Jesus is the greater Boaz, the perfect Boaz, the one who is on the scene of your mess. Like he's the, the redeemer of your life and my life. Like the person who did that, the person who defends you, the person who speaks up for you, the person who looks at you as perfect is the one who came to redeem you, body and soul, to pay the price you and I could not pay in the midst of the mess. Remember, God is here. He was once here on earth. He went to a cross with his arms spread open so that one day he could have enwrapped them around you in heaven. That one is here in the midst of the mess. He's related to you by flesh and blood. He's redeemed you with his own blood and he was willing to pay the price. God is here. Like, hold on to that truth. We see it in Ruth. He's there. And we're going to see it over the next few weeks and as more plays out about that go go scene with Boaz and Ruth. And you got to come back for that. But before you do, like, don't forget what's going on. God's providence. God is at work through the Jesus roots that Ruth and Boaz had and fruit is being experienced, one person is making a difference. And God is here. It reminds me of another person who made a difference by his blood. Like, have you ever heard the name of this man, James Harrison? Going, going, Gone. At age 14, he had to have a major operation. The only way he made it through the operation was because of blood transfusions, the doctor told him. Like, without the blood transfusions, you would have died. And so he made a promise at, when he was 14 that when he could at age 18, and every time he could after that, he would donate blood to make a difference in the life of one. But you know what all those donations did from age 18 on? Ever heard of Rees's disease? It's a blood disorder and disease that, that, that children who are not yet born can get. And the only way, the the, the best treatment, the only treatment is through the blood that is very rare. He didn't know it, but when he started donating, his blood alone saved 2.5 million people's lives, they say, including one of his own kids. Can one person make a difference? We see it in the story, Ruth and Boaz, for sure. And for you and for me, God is here the one who gave his, his life and very blood for you and me, don't forget in the midst of the mess that you have a redeemer who loves you and is with you. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, the story of Ruth is just filled with, with your story. And it's so amazing to see godly people in action. Lord, give us a, a character like Boaz and Ruth so that our reputation can speak volumes to the world in which we live. Lord, help us see your providence in the midst of the mess. We might not know why and what is happening, for what reason, but, but you're at work. You promise your providence, your guiding hand. will work all things out for some good, somewhere, somehow, sometime. And Lord, in the midst of the mess, remind us, God is here. The one who came once is here. Jesus is here. So give us strength, Lord, to celebrate you who are our redeemer. And in the midst of the mess, your, your name and your hand are all over us and with us. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.